everybody. This is Anand Brian from Amara World Podcast. And today we have our next guest for AI episode, Brian Phillips. He is a lead television director and a generative AI pioneer who is well known by his artist name, Uncanny Harry. Hi, Ryan. How are you? I'm great, Anna. How are you? Good. It's a pleasure to have you here. Could you please give like a quick introduction to yourself and your background? Sure. My name's uh, Ryan Phillips. I'm a lead television director for the BBC. Uh, I've been in television for over 20 years now, worked in various roles like camera operator, editor, etc. Uh, I'm also a short filmmaker. I studied film at Southampton under uh, Ken Russell, who's a uh, relatively big uh, British filmmaker. And uh, my short films were screened internationally. And over the last year, I've been experimenting with uh, AI video. Uh, could you share how you first into AI so what was your first encounter with AI and how did that kind of snowball into what you're doing today? So the first sort of experience I had with AI was um, in image generation so apps like uh, Midjourney around about over a year ago now probably um, just over a year ago and they were in their infancy then and the results were relatively poor um, but I thought, oh, these would be good to perhaps storyboard films, help you do your planning, help you do your pre-visualizations, um, uh, a great way of, uh, of using them for that. But the the way that they accelerated so quickly, I mean, uh, mid-journey became photorealistic maybe uh, six months ago, five months ago. Um, I could then see the potential for them in filmmaking. I then got into invited into a uh, beta testing for Runway and uh, Pika Labs, which are two um, uh, video generation tools. And it just snowballed from there, really. Uh, and then I could actually see, oh, right, there is a real potential for this to become a proper filmmaking tool. Oh, that's interesting to know that you kind of, because you mentioned the uh, Pika Labs. So I think there are a lot of news recently uh, about them. Can you, can you give like some examples of the projects you're currently working right now? There is a new Pika Labs uh, 1.0 coming out. Uh, I think it's around about today. So I, I'm on the beta on that. So I'm looking forward to playing with that. Um, I've sort of been using them for various projects. So I've done my most recent film was the Cold Call. So it's a, um, a sort of uh, crime drama short film about three minutes but with fully voiced characters with ai um so you've got lip sync you've got um photorealism it's not perfect it sort of looks like a, a game cut scene at the moment the movement's just a little bit off it's still a little bit in the uncanny valley but it's definitely you know fast climbing out of the uncanny valley and getting to a point i think we've got to the point now where viewers can get past the little bit of jank and actually get into the story and get into the characters now. So that is the point where it will really start taking off, I think. And I'm just curious about some of the tools you're using and how you use them in your workflow. Like how different are these, like using these tools to say um, the normal workflow when you are actually making, a, for example, a short film and everything. Maybe you can talk us through that process. So maybe it's because I come from a filmmaking background, uh, but I tend to sort of correlate it quite closely to a filmmaking experience so what I would do initially is I would get my coverage and that means that I'll get all the shots that I would need to cover the film so I generate those as still images either in mid-journey or Leonardo AI so you basically prompt you know the images you want uh, and then 
I would use uh, Mid Journey um, uh, Vary Region, which is a uh, in painting. So you have problems with AI essentially because it's hard to maintain consistency. So if you prompt like a man in uh, a suit with a beard uh, driving a car, and then you prompt a man with a suit with a beard in a restaurant, they might not be exactly the same man. Um, prompting helps. Prompting techniques helps, like your description of the man and such. But essentially, you need to do some extra work to make that character look the same. And that can involve face swapping and it can involve uh, generative feel. So you actually say his uniform doesn't look consistent or his outfit doesn't look consistent between the two. You can actually paint over the um, the initial image with uh, a generative feel in Adobe, um, uh, Adobe Photoshop. Or you can use the tools already embedded in mid-journeys, which is called Region Verifier. So that I'd use that then to get my shots all consistent and my characters all consistent. And then I'd be happy with the shots that I've got. And then I would take those shots into uh, Runway or Pika Labs, and I can then direct those. So I can prompt camera movements. I can prompt expressions. So I can have them laugh in certain shots. I can have the camera move around them and pivot. Um, so you're then sort of directing the stuff. It, 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 traditionally, that's what you would do in a shoot. You go and shoot your coverage, and then you would direct your coverage, and then you go back and edit it. Uh, and it's much the same. So after I've then uh, animated all my uh, images in Runway or Pika Labs, I'd then move to the edit suite with a, a Adobe Premiere Pro, and I'd cut stuff, add the music, add any effects that I need to add. You can use generative AI for the music now. It's not as good as a human musician, not by a long shot. But if, you, if you're doing something, you know, um, not for profit, if you're doing something on a budget or if you're doing something just to share on the internet, it's, it's getting to the stage of being pretty usable. And also your sound effects. Now there are various uh, places that you can generate sound effects um, with AI. Again, they're not as good as uh, having a, a sound person working with you generating those effects, but they're at a, a good enough stage that, you know, for sort of social media stuff. So it seems like that for independent filmmakers, it's, it could be quite a useful tool to use AI to reduce the price. But do you know approximately how much could it help with time and like money? Um, at least for, like for me, just for interest, if I have some ideas, but I never had a possibility to film it. So yeah, in terms of cost, it's infinitely cheaper. So I think... Something like Runway is $100 a month, and that's infinite generations. So um, that would be about all you need, maybe maybe like a $20 or $30 um, mid-journey subscription as well. Then a lot of the apps, of other stuff is free. You'd need an editing software. You could use CapCut. So you're talking you could make a very reasonable short film for – you know, uh, under $200, maybe $150. Now, if you compare that to a traditional film, you can hire a camera for $150. So in terms of cost ratio, it is massive in, in terms of, you know, the, the cost of, of of making something physically in production. And I think that's what's really supercharging it. But also, you know, if, if you're in a position where you have to do reshoots, if you're in a position where you have, you think, oh, you get to the edit and you think, oh, I haven't got that that shot that I want, you can just go back and make it. 
Whereas if you're in a, in a physical situation, you have to bring back those actors. You have to bring back that crew. You have to, that location has to be free again. So um, I think in terms of convenience and in terms of costs, it is massively lower. And that's probably what's, like I say, supercharging the development of it right now. So in terms of, you know, yourself, if you had something you wanted to make, you could make it for, for relatively, you know, cheap in terms of on scale like I say, under two hundred dollars would get you uh, voice cloning or uh, text to voice, so you could use that for your characters. It will get you infinite generations on runway. It would get you um, CapCut subscriptions, so you could edit. Um, so it, it's just infinitely cheaper, and I think that's going to sort of power a lot of voices that we don't traditionally hear because they're priced out of making short films and they're priced out of making feature films. I think that this technology is going to open gates for those sort of uh, creatives. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what you can do these days with iPhone, especially. Yeah, something. definitely. It's producing a lot of its own teasers and trailers with just uh, just the iPhones. I mean, with all these technology developments, what do you would you say was the most um, exciting sort of technological development in the past year or so that has... Um, a big impact on the indie film. So I'd say probably uh, Runway because they were the first to to sort of provide a off-the-shelf solution for this stuff. I mean, there was stuff floating around the internet on GitHub stuff and, you know, local installs. So you've got sort of two um, areas developing at the moment. You've got the, the commercial aspect, which is providers like Runway, Pika, that are that are uh, either coming up with their own technology or packaging up technologies into useful uh, packages for people to use. But you've also got the homebrew stuff, which is like stable diffusion video, which people are running off, you know, heavy duty PCs at home. So you've got those two areas and they're sort of feeding into each other as well, because obviously the commercial sector sees what the, um, the what the homebrew guides are doing and, and picks up some of that and vice versa. So that's adding to the acceleration. But I definitely say for me, runway, it was runway. When I first got on that beta, and um, started playing with their text-to-video and their video-to-video -video stuff. So the video-to-video -video means that you can change a video into something else, and text-to-video means you're just writing prompts, and you don't need to use images as your starting base. It installed a childlike sense of wonder in me again, uh, which I haven't experienced since being, you know, a child playing with the action figures. It, it just opened up a world of possibility, and you could just see it stretching out before you, it was sort of like the future is actually here. I wasn't aware that this technology was around at such a advanced level. Um, and so, yeah, and it's literally been every every sort of three weeks, something new's come along to blow your mind now. It, the, the space is so exciting and, and, and the speed that it's accelerating is incredible. It's outstripping even the most optimistic um, AI enthusiasts' uh, timetables. But looking back at like this year, just like there were a lot of like strikes, writer strike, actor strike. Do you have any kind of tips for like filmmakers and people working in film and TV industry, how they can prepare them, themselves for what's coming and what, what where they can start actually? Yeah, sure. So in our space, we've got lots of people from lots of different backgrounds. We've got actors, we've got writers. We've got, you know, people from various um, areas in the film and television industry. We've got people who have no experience with film and television at all. I think it will scale up. So I think people need to prepare now. Um, uh, uh, 
it's a weird situation because it's a bit of a table flip. No one knows exactly what's going to happen. The pessimists think that Hollywood is going to grab hold of the tech and turn everything into, you know, AI-generated stuff. The optimists think, well, if you can create a movie for $300, why do you need a studio system when creators can go directly to um, their audience? So I would say, look, start if you're if you're an actor if you're a writer if you're a, a, a television director start playing around with image generation prompting images so mid journey is a good bet leonardo ai is really good uh, one's a subscription model one gives you free and you can pay as you go uh, so leonardo ai is a great introduction in that sense but have a have a play around with the image generation first because it's you know it's, it's quite simplistic and and type you get used to prompting and type in prompts, um, and then um, and then sort of grow from there. Um, but the space is moving really fast. It's quite hard because once you tell someone, learn this, in three months' time, it has been, you know, replaced by something else. So it, it is a fast-moving space, and I can understand. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm across it all, and I feel overwhelmed sometimes. So I can understand the people who aren't in the bubble looking in think, you know, what is happening there because of the speed of, of, of change. I'm also curious a bit uh, more about the, the process of producing like some of these um, or clips from the, the film. Like, you, is there a lot of, um, is it completely AI driven at the moment where you, you decide everything through prompts or is there also a, a little bit more, I guess, uh, post-processing that uh, the sort of editor gets involved um, themselves just to, you know, fine tune the scene or can this also be done? Just with another AI tool. Yeah, um, the AI editing is not there yet. Um, and in terms of AI putting, a lot of people see the output and think, oh, it's a one click, you know, that I've typed in, make a gangster film about this. It's not that simple. You you, you create your individual shots and you, and you are pasting them together as, as an editor. So there's a lot of human involvement in it. The AI is still a tool. It's not driving the stuff. I mean, there are models out there that let you build um, videos from scratch with AI, but they're more like really simple YouTube, ex, you know, um, explainers about stuff where it sort of pastes generic pictures over the top. You can, you know, human stuff is far outstripping that. Saying that, a lot of people use ChatGPT to help them write scripts and formulate ideas. I do myself. It makes a great sort of writer's assistant and helps you formulate ideas and can even help with prompting. We are a fairly long way away from AI generating the whole thing and doing the whole thing itself. And a lot of people still think, you know, that, that, that it'll always need some sort of human involvement just to give it that, that, that heart and that soul. But, but who knows? Who knows in 20 years? From, like, ethical perspective, like, well, maybe because, like, a lot of, like, filmmakers and uh, people working in the film and TV uh, creatives, they are not even trying those tools just because they kind of there's like a barrier the like ethics they they if they will try it they will break this kind of core that they have inside them do do you have any kind of tips or advice on on like for, for those people uh, who are just afraid to to try it just because of the backlash sure so i agree with both um the writers guild and the sag action you shouldn't be in a position where executives are using just generating um, uh, story ideas and stuff like that. It's going to 
dumb down everything. It's going to make it worse. And also they're going to then get the humans to tidy that up and that will cut humans out of the the loop in terms of, you know, the, the money for idea generation. So I, I agree with what they did. But the, the, the writer's strike wasn't saying don't use AI. It was saying they do not want um, uh, the industry to use AI to supersede writers, which I agree with. Equally, the actor's strike was largely about uh, what you're talking about there, which is giving up the rights to your image or voice, which I agree with as well. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, that shouldn't be a, a situation where a commercial company is making money out of you unless it's been agreed and so on and so forth. So these are important decisions. There is the moral element. And obviously there is some um, grey area around how the, the models have been trained. Um, do we give living artists some sort of opt-out uh, situation or can they be paid or remunerated for having their work in the model? Um, there's lots of ethical questions around it, but at the moment, I'm not making money out of this. I'm experimenting with stuff. So I don't feel that I'm depriving anyone else of an income or I, I'm, you know, um, stopping anyone else from having a job. But at some point, there will be a tipping point, And it looks like a lot of the American um, court cases are going in AI's favour, saying that it's not stealing or it's not theft. That's to be worked out. But all I would suggest is to those other filmmakers is this is coming. It is an inevitability. The cost and the convenience means that it is going to happen. And to stand like King Canute in front of the sea and say, you know, go back is 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 not a way of protecting yourself from this change. It, invest in it now. Learn. You're not you're not ripping anyone off by learning with these tools. You're not ripping off anyone by playing with these tools in your own privacy. You're not ripping off anyone by making little bits that you're sharing on the internet. It's essentially fan art, you know. But I would say start experimenting now because change is definitely coming and those who are able to adapt will will flourish and those who, who, who sort of deny that it's coming will be left in its wake. So um, I understand moral hesitancy. I think hopefully some of that's going to be sorted out by legislation. You can take your own moral stand. I don't personally prompt any artist names. I don't say give me a thing that looks like this person's work because I don't think that's right. If I was making a film for profit, I would not include any likenesses of any actors um, because obviously that's disreputable. You're taking, you know, their likeness. In some experimentation, I've, I've used likeness of actors to say, hey, look, I can make this look like so-and-so. Um, but obviously, if they were offended by that and wanted me to take it down, I'd be perfectly happy to. So there are ways to make this a a moral thing. You don't have to be totally unscrupulous just because you're using AI. But equally, it is happening, and 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 people need to protect themselves by getting across uh, the changes that are coming. Absolutely. I mean, even um, like earlier in uh, the, the podcast, you were talking about all the sort of savings you can get from just using a lot of these tools to sort of bypass the traditional process, which involves, you know, a lot more people, a lot more hours and um, et cetera. Do you think, you know, going past uh, the moral issue, this is something that um, independent filmmakers should look at adopting? Or is this like, um, do you think this is something that they should start teaching at schools for new um, people coming into filmmaking? 
Yeah, uh, I mean, like when I went to film school, <laughs> which was some time ago now, um, that non-linear editing had just come into place, and the um, film schools sort of struggled to keep up with the pace of stuff because they'd been using, you know, uh, actual film uh, on reels and uh, cutting on Steinbecks, which uh, you basically just chop the film up. So when this non-linear stuff, they most of the guys there didn't know how to use it. So um, I, I think it should start to be cool using. Uh, in filmmaking schools, but I think you're going to see a lot of resistance. Um, equally, there are ways to incorporate it by shooting stuff traditionally and then treating stuff with AI with a tra style transfer. So you don't have to go the whole hog and dispense of anything, but you can start incorporating video to video and style transfer stuff or face swaps or, you know, there's other tools that can be used to enhance traditionally shot stuff. So maybe that's a way to start dipping your, your your toes in the in the sort of AI water. But yeah, I definitely think it should it should be taught, really. It should be introduced to filmmakers uh, at this stage, uh, at this sort of early stage. But, uh, you know, there is, like you say, there is this, there's a fear, I, I understandably so, of a lot of people because they think it's going to rob them of something they love, which is traditional filmmaking, which I, as an optimist, think will always exist. Uh, in some form, maybe in a more, um, uh, in a way that we see traditional theatre now, you know, you, just because films came along, theatre didn't completely die off and disappear. It just wasn't the mainstream media anymore. It was more of a, an event thing that you did separately. Equally, you know, films shot in a traditional manner may become a sort of theatrical experience, um, whereas AI stuff is more of a home, you know, a, a, a content delivered directly to you. So um, going back to your original question, I, I think it definitely needs to be start. Filmmakers need to get across this and introducing it at a school level might be a good way of um, teaching people about it in a structured sense, um, teaching people about the morals and ethics of it as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it definitely needs to be introduced at that level because it is part of the filmmaking tool set now. And I think it's just like a society, we probably need to distinguish that this is just a tech, the way we apply it, that's what matters. And some kind of, we need to introduce new laws and yeah, so maybe to reduce this fear because there are so many good applications of like AI. That, so uh, yeah, especially like for people with disabilities. But um, what, what do you would say, like what, what are your hopes and predictions for the future of um, AI and maybe for your own projects? So I would hope, uh, next year I hope to make a sort of feature film with AI because I think the tech's got to the tipping point now where you can do that and I could do that about, probably take me about three months with present workflows, maybe a little bit over. But yeah, I'd like to do that just, just to tick it off the box of my own, um, my own personal sense of achievement. In terms of my hopes for AI, I hope it, it is a way that, um, individual creators can uh, have a direct relationship with their audience. So <clears throat> you would only need a small audience paying a very small uh, price uh, and you could make a living as a creator creating content that they enjoyed. Um, so basically every niche, you know, in filmmaking could be explored. Um, and some of that would obviously burst through to the mainstream, but some of it you could just make a living as a creator making films and short films that your audience enjoyed, perhaps only, you know, 10,000 people or so. 
uh, 15,000 people who, who, who are making a small subscription payment uh, of under a dollar or uh, uh, you, you can see different methods and modes. I think it will spawn a new sort of social media um, situation which enables content makers to have a better relationship with their audience. Um, you know, the, the, the audience could actually get involved in making the um, content. They could be a part of making the content. They could actually appear in the content if necessary. So I see it as a way, as an optimist, I see my hopes are that it becomes a tool for voices that we haven't heard before. So you could get the next, you know, um, the next Martin Scorsese could come from South America. They could come from Eastern Europe. They could come from Africa. They could come from places where traditionally, you know, working class people in those areas haven't had access to these tools. And they would now have a way of telling their story, of, of, of telling people what their experience is. So that is my hope for it, that, you know, that it helps flip the table and we're seeing less of these homogenized Hollywood blockbusters and we're seeing more bespoke content made um, and, and more... Uh, a wider range of voices you mentioned disabled people um you know this is a great way for people with disabilities to access filmmaking that's traditionally you know not it's not easy on set for for, for people who are neurodiverse or or disabled you know they're they're they're, they're not the most um uh easy places to work on a film set um so i hope that it, it AI becomes a, a, a vehicle for, for bringing all these voices out. I'd like to leave the last um, uh, minute or so for you to uh, leave any last words to our listeners and also like how can they find out more about your project and how can they reach out and connect with you? So I am Uncanny Harry on X or Twitter as we all still call it, uh, despite Elon's best attempts. Um, also on LinkedIn. Uh, you can uh, access me there. I am on Instagram, but to a far lesser extent. So best places to hit me up is X if you want to follow my process because I share a lot of stuff about, you know, oh, I've just played with this toy or I've just used this um, uh, new technique. LinkedIn is a bit more formal and I post uh, my whole films there and have a bit more of a professional discussion about AI. I like to... I, <laughs> I like to split my personality across the two sites. So professionally, LinkedIn and sort of experimentally X. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'd encourage everyone to get involved in this space, whether you are a filmmaker, whether you are a artist. It is the most exciting creative space to be in at the moment, and it's moving so fast. And like I said earlier, it's reinstalled a childlike sense of wonder. AI has the ability to give us hope because in this sphere, it's making a lot of things happen. And that should translate also to other spheres, you know, like medicine uh, and um, agriculture and the environment. AI should be able to do what it's doing in filmmaking in these spheres as well. So it, it, there is a hopeful future uh, if you're an optimist like me. Um, the Terminator is just a film. It's just a film. And obviously we need to regulate and obviously, we need to be aware of disinformation, which is going to be a big problem in the coming year or so uh, that's generated for AI. So legislators need to get on top of this and find a way to protect people from that. 
but as an optimist, I see a bold new future. Great. It's, it's, a, it's a great point to add on. And thank you so much for coming uh, and doing this episode with us. Cheers. Bye. Bye. 